Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. My guest today, Jeremy Miner, wastes no time getting into how many sales reps are really holding back their success by relying on a sales process that includes consultative selling. He goes into examples and tips on how to engage your client while eliminating that sales barrier that customers put up. Jeremy Miner is the chairman of 7th Level. They are a global sales training company that was ranked 1,232 of the fastest growing companies in the United States by Inc. Magazine's list of the top 5,000 companies in 2021. And I'm pretty sure in 2022, he's going even further up that list. During his 17-year sales career, Jeremy was recognized by the Direct Selling Association as the 45th highest earning producer out of more than 100 million salespeople selling anything worldwide. His commissions earnings as a salesperson were in the multiple seven figures every year. That's a lot of that's a lot of commission. Jeremy brings a unique brand of selling that pioneers the use of behavioral science and human psychology, which you're going to see some really good examples of during the episode. Enjoy the show. All right, Jeremy, welcome to the High Tech Freedom uh, Podcast. How are you doing today? Chris, thank you for that nice introduction. You know, I'm going to I'm going to take all of that as a compliment. My kids say I'm pretty boring. So well done. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be on your show. Let's roll. Hey, man, my pleasure. My pleasure. So uh, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started in sales? And uh, you know, what are you doing right now? Well, so uh, I'm the chairman and founder of Seventh Level. We're a, a, a global uh, training sales training organization. We train everything from Fortune 100 clients all the way down to SMB, all the way down to salespeople who pretty much sell anything. We train 158 different industries and growing. The only industry we're not training now is the underwater basket weaving industry. So if you have any connections in there, Chris, let us know because we have not penetrated those type of accounts. So <laughs> well, I'm a connector. I'm a connector. So I'll figure it out. I'll make it happen. There you go, baby. So we started about four years ago. Uh, we've grown pretty rampant, uh, rampant. Um, you know, Inc. Magazine and their Inc. 5000 uh, top fastest growing companies. We were ranked the number one fastest growing sales training company in 2020 and 2021. We're probably going to get it again in 2022. So sometimes you have to push, you have to stop on the break because you grow too fast. And that's kind of what we're experiencing now. We've got to stop the break a little bit, too much marketing, too many leads, too many people coming in because you have to have more fulfillment and that's important for us. So that's what we're doing now. What else would you like to know? Well, so, you know, I was looking at your background and, you know, I noticed your degree uh, going to school was in behavioral science. Yeah. And I imagine that has a lot to do with your NEPQ concept of selling. Can you give a little bit, why don't we just jump right in? So what is NEPQ and how does it differ? Yeah. Well, full disclosure, full disclosure, I dropped out of college my senior year, the last semester, 
I have 11, no, 13 credits left. I just dropped out. I couldn't do it anymore. Well, let's round up then. We'll just round uh, up. Yeah, I was already in sales at that point. And I was making, I was making like five times more than the professors teaching me. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to stay in sales. Like if I'm a doctor and attorney, of course, I've got to finish school. But like, this is not helping me. This is just slowing down my career. And so I started learning, you know, because I was learning behavioral science, not just from my professors there in Utah where I was going to school, but I was learning from like Robert Caldini, who's, you know, the head of, uh, you know, psychology here at Arizona State University. I was, I was learning from the head of sociology. I can't remember his name, Adam something out of NYU. Like I was learning some like pretty high level behavioral science outside of what my college professors were training me. So I'm like, I can still learn from all these other people and not have to go to school and I'm making all this money. Like, what am I doing taking college algebra? None of this makes any sense. So I quite literally walked up one day, I walked out, there was a surprise quiz. And I was just like, I am not going to do this. It was a surprise quiz in college algebra. And I'm just like, I'm not doing this. And I freaking walked out because I hate algebra. I walked out of it. I'm like, I what am I doing? And I just, I just never got it. But to go back to NEPQ. So yeah, I was, so my degree that I was getting was in behavioral science and I was minor in human psychology, right? Which if you really think about it, like if you break down what behavioral science is, it's really the study of the brain, right? It's, it's why, do, like, why do human beings behave certain ways? Why do they make decisions to go left or right? Why did they decide to go up or down, like what's going on in the brain that causes them to decide certain things. So according to behavioral science, this might be important for your audience if they want to write this down, okay? If you're driving, you're going to have to memorize this. According to behavioral science, there are three forms of communication, all right? And I'd suggest you write these down because, I mean, really once you understand the differences in persuasion and where you are now compared to where you can be, even if you're already doing good, even if you're already making six figures or more in commissions, It'll change everything for you, okay? So the first mode of communication, I'm not going to give the scientific term. I'm going to give a term that everybody on here would probably know. If I asked you, Chris, and everybody else, if I said the word boiler room selling, what's the first image that would come in your mind? I don't know. Boiler room selling, what's the first image? I, I think a bunch of people in a room on the phone making calls. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, the shows on TV, like uh, the Gordon Gecko and Wolf on Wall Street, like, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you, right? And we try to push and, and pressure them and tell them why they need to buy from us, right? So according to the science, we're actually the least persuasive. This is scary. The least persuasive when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them or posture them, or manipulate them, or push them into doing something we want them to do, right? It's just like if you go to your spouse or even your teenage kids, and you keep pushing them, telling them they need to do something, what do they do back? Yeah, and they're the exact opposite. They push back. That's just what human beings, I don't know why salespeople have not, it's not their fault. We've just been forced to learn really the wrong way, all right? So let me give you a few examples of the least persuasive way to sell. When I say this sometimes on keynotes, people are like, what? Oh my gosh, I've been, what's going on? Presenting. We've all been taught you have to have a great presentation. We've got to show them the slide decks, the 60 to 90 minute slide decks in the boardroom of here's our corporate office and here's some pictures of our founders and our team and here's our clients and here's all the awards we won from JD Power and Associates for customer service and blah, 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 which by the, you know, we have the best this, we have the best this, which by the way, doesn't every single salesperson 
that's ever tried to sell you anything say they have the best product or service? Absolutely. Am I, am I right right there? Okay. Yeah. Nobody's saying like, oh, we have the fifth best product in the market, right? So when you say things that every other salesperson says that has ever tried to sell them something to, because remember, your average prospect, when they look at salespeople, they have a negative stigma against you. So it just, when you sound like everybody else, they go into fight or flight mode because they feel like you're the same person, okay? So you want to make sure that your presentations are not more than 10% of your entire sales process. The problem is, and this is in in the industry, we train your industry that most of your people do SaaS and technology, we train hundreds of other industries. Any industry, the average salesperson on average presents half of the time. And that is a major issue because it's going in one ear out the other. Telling your story. Hate to tell everybody here. Nobody cares about your story. Whose story do they care about? Their own. Their story. Right. Especially when you're selling one to one, right? Not one to many. Given a sales pitch, we've all been told you got to give a great pitch. Not very, not very persuasive though. You ever watch like CNBC, like the Shark Tank guys? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like Barbara and, you know, uh, Damon John and Cuban and Mr. Wonderful Kevin, all those guys, they rotate. Watch the, as the entrepreneurs come in there, they get all excited and they're pitching. Watch the body language and the facial expressions of the sharks. They're like, whoa, right? Hashtag ditch the pitch if you want to be great at sales, right? And here's the big one, assuming the sale. According to the data, especially early in a conversation, the more you assume, the more sales pressure the prospect feels and the more resistance and emotionally shut down they are going to become throughout that entire sales process, right? So if you ask yourself, how many of you on here listening were forced to learn those skills or are actually using them right now? When I asked that question, about 70% of the audience raised their hand. They're like, oh, I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Now, the second form of communication, which is better, is is known as the non-scientific term would be more known as consultative selling. Everybody's heard that, especially in B2B sales, right? So we're more persuasive when we attempt to have a discussion, okay? Consultative selling came out mainly in the 80s. Books like Spin Selling, Sandler, you know, they taught how to logical. You got to ask logical-based questions to find the needs of the client, which was really revolutionary in the 80s, right? But what's the potential downfall of this approach when you're only asking logical-based questions? We call those surface-level questions. Well, when you ask surface-level questions... Your prospects give you what type of answers in return? Surface level answers, right? And we all know that human beings buy on emotion. They don't buy on logic. Brain studies prove that. So when you say questions, like when you ask questions like, so John, uh, tell me what's keeping you awake at night? See, every salesperson has that. They, They just cringe. I can tell you when you ask questions like that, they're just cringing. Can you tell me two problems that you're having or who besides you would be involved in this decision? Okay, most people aren't just going to open up that. So you might want to relanguage that and say, Sally, can you walk me through your your organization's decision-making process when it comes to solving problems like this? See, that expands the question, which causes them to think deeper. We're going deeper in that conversation. We're probably even going to probe off what they say from there, okay? Or what sort of budget do you have set aside? A lot of salespeople, you know, they use BANT you know, budget authority. And I'll ask that budget question in five minutes, but here's the problem. Most of your prospects don't even know what their real problems are when you first start talking to them. Am I right? Or maybe they know they have a problem, but they don't know how bad their problem really is. Or maybe they don't understand the consequences of what happens if they don't do anything about solving the problem. So once you learn advanced questioning, call that NEPQ, okay, not only are you able to help the prospect find that they have one problem, 
But now you're able to help them find that they have two or three or four or maybe five other problems they didn't realize they had. And that builds a bigger gap. And when they start to see how many problems they have and the consequences, well, guess what? Their budget also goes up as well because now they know what the real problems are. That's why I always tell salespeople, you can never sell to just the needs of the client because most of your prospects don't know what they need when they first start talking to them. Like Steve Jobs said, you only sell to the real problems that your questioning allows them to see they have they didn't know before they started talking to you. And that causes them to have a much higher budget, especially if you're in B2B, even B2C as well. Okay. So that's the second mode of communication, more persuasive than the first mode of pressuring, assumptive selling. But unfortunately, you're still playing the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out by asking logical-based questions. Now, the third mode, this is where it gets fun here. The third mode, the third mode is called dialogue. Okay. We're the most persuasive when we allow a human being to persuade themselves. When we ask what are called neuro-emotional persuasion questions. Now, when I say that, everybody's like, well, Jeremy, how do we do that? How do I get somebody to persuade themselves? Like the, that's like the $1 trillion question. We can't talk about billions now. Like we're in trillions, right? The $1 trillion question. Can I just show up? Hey, John, I give you permission to persuade yourself. And here's our wiring details. You know, message me when you wire. No, we have to learn specific skilled questions when and how to ask them, especially with the right tone. What does your tone sound when you ask certain questions? Is it, are you more, having an empathetic tone at certain points or more skeptical or more curious, we have to learn when and how to adjust that. We have to be almost like a chameleon and learn what parts of tonality we use at different parts of the sales process that get the prospect to pull you in rather than you trying to push them forward because then selling becomes very, very easy at that point. So that is in a nutshell, an overview of neuro-emotional persuasion questions, the third mode of selling. Yeah. Can do you have maybe um, a, a quick example that you, you could provide of a, maybe a question, uh, maybe a scenario where a question might be applicable? Oh, well, yeah, tons. So let me give an example. Let's say, um, so let's say, how do you build urgency? A lot of people are like, how do I build urgency in the sale, right? That's a big one, right? Especially when we're about to, it looks like we're going to go into like a time of economic contraction, mm-hmm. you know, especially if Amazon is laying off thousands of employees right before the freaking holidays, what does that tell you? They're usually adding 30,000 employees right before the holidays. If they're starting to get rid of employees, that should tell you that something is coming probably in the next three to six months. I don't have a, gl- a, a golden ball that I know, but the signs are there. So during times of economic contraction, you know, all these laydown sales you might have been experiencing in the last couple of years, three, four, five years of the economy is pretty good. Well, guess what happens to the laydown sales when people are uncertain about the future, about if they're going to have a job, about if their company's still going to be around in six months or a year? They hold on to their money. They're they're far more skeptical. They're far more cautious than they are even now. So those laydowns, like they don't exist during times of economic contraction. I sold during the, you know, the recession, house recession. And you had to acquire more skills if you wanted to sell more. So how do you get to build urgency? How do you build a gap? So one thing you can use are what's called consequence questions. Now, consequence questions allow your prospect to see what the ramifications and consequences are if they don't do anything about solving their problem, right? So let me give you an example. Let's say if you sold some type of, uh, geez, I don't know, like uh, I'll give you an industry-specific example. I was just working on a script right before. Let's say if you sold business consulting services, and let's say that you help 
companies, SMB companies, you help them scale and grow. Maybe you put in different, you know, tracking devices that help them grow. So they have the analytics or the right data, or maybe you uh, put in the right operations or systems. I mean, anything like that. And let's say they have a problem. They've kind of been like stagnating growth the last couple of years because they're unorganized. They don't have the right systems. They don't have the right analytics. They don't know how to grow. They don't know where they can spend their money. And let's say that's what you sell. So you might come to about three-fourths of that first discovery conversation to the C-level executive and say something like this. Okay, but John, what, what happens if you guys don't do anything about this and you, you keep, you know, you don't have the right data and you can't grow? Like what happens to your job at that point? If you're talking to like a C-level whose job might be on the line, if they can't grow, if they can't get the right data, see how I leaned in and I say that like, really, like I'm worried about you. Okay. But what if you, what are the possible ramifications if your company doesn't do anything about that? Oh my gosh. See, that's another consequence question. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. What happens if you guys don't do anything and your sales keep stagnating the next three, six, 12 months? Like, what happens to the department at that point? See, I'm leaning in. They're like, oh, right. oh my gosh, it'd be bad. That's an example of a consequence question. Now, what that does is it starts to build a bigger gap from where they are. Okay, we call that like their current situation. Some people call that their current state compared to where they want to be. Okay, we call that their objective state. Current state, objective state. Now, what's the gap? The gap are all these newfound problems that your advanced questioning ability has allowed the prospect to see that they have that they didn't even understand they had before they got on that first call with you. The bigger that gap, the more urgency for them to change and to change now. That's the difference. The smaller that gap, because you only ask a few surface level questions and then you go into your pitch well, the smaller the gap, they don't really feel that that problem's that big of a deal. And that's why they don't show up to the next appointment when you try to do a demo or they don't show up to the proposal because you don't know how to gap build. You don't know how to build a big enough gap. And so they don't perceive a big enough problem to even want to take the time to show up. Yeah, I was on your uh, Thursday Q&A call today and you you actually were hitting on that um, when it comes to selling. Oh, are you in one of our Facebook groups? Yeah, I was listening in uh, and, oh, and you were okay. talking about, especially on the selling the security piece, right? You need to have a really big gap because yeah. if they don't see, you know, you're not necessarily gonna tie direct dollar, you're not gonna make more money because you deployed that security. So how do you create that bigger gap of maybe unrealized yeah. issues? Yeah. 
Well, the consequences of what, so, you know, I think the person asked me that sold like alarm systems, right? It's the concept. Okay. But what happens if you don't have the system in here and intruder breaks in when you're out of town on your business trip? Like what happens at that point? See, that's a consequence question that gets them to see like the consequences if they don't do anything. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you were going through that, I love the example of, you know, what happens, you know, if that happens, what happens to, you know, your role in this, in this company, there's the personal consequence and then there's some business consequence. And I've, well, you have to, yeah, you have to find out who you're talking to. Like using that first discovery call, as you know, Chris, you're talking to not the ultimate decision maker. So you're talking to like a C-level executive. So you have to tie in the problem the company's having to their unique situation. And then once you get up to the next level, maybe you're doing a demo and now there's two or three other people on there. How do you tie it into those people's situation, their problems? Then when you get into the board and other decision makers, how do you individually tie it into their unique situations? Because I think what a lot of salespeople don't realize, because we train, you know, we I think we looked at our numbers. I think out of all of our clients, 59% are in B2C sales, 41% are in B2B. And that's typically, usually that is, there's more B2C you know, sales roles usually than, than B2B. It's a little bit smaller. But typically when people go from B2C sales to B2B, it's like they're pretty good salespeople, but they don't know how to navigate mm-hmm. in an organization because when they're selling B2C, they're talking to maybe one or two people. They're typically talking to like a husband and wife, right? Maybe they're selling insurance, right? So there's like two decision makers, or maybe they're selling even B2B, but they're maybe talking to like a retail store owner here on the corner that's just mom and, you know, John, and they just can make the decision yes or no. But the average company in the United States of America, I'm not even talking Fortune 500, has 6.7 decision makers and or influencers. Okay. That's just the average. Some have more. So when I say- Yeah. And that's probably been growing in the pandemic. Yeah. And so when I say influencers, I don't mean somebody that's going to write the check that has the decision, but let's say that you're selling some type of SaaS or software cybersecurity. We train lots of thousands of people in that indus- in those industries. Say you're selling cybersecurity to banks, right? Well, here's what you need to think. Let's say that the C-level executive tries to get their chief technology officer involved or maybe people below them. Well, that person might feel threatened by what you're selling because maybe they're going to uncover problems that you didn't solve for them and they're going to get canned. See, now they don't have the decision-making process, but maybe they try to stifle whatever you're doing, try to come up with all these objections so they can go to the boss and get rid of you. So you have to you have to know how to be able to sell to that individual to trigger like what's behind what's in it for them. Like, how's it going to solve their problems? And a lot of salespeople don't realize that there's other influencers that are trying to like get rid of you because they feel like whatever you're selling is going to threaten their career or make them look bad towards their boss. Yeah, you know, that's actually a really good transition into uh, a topic that I've heard you talk about before. By the way, I've listened to your podcast. Oh, okay. And uh, your ABDs, right? Always be right, disarming. Yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, how that differs from always be closing ABCs. Yeah, you know, we're not big always be closing fans. You know, always be closing. Like we, I don't want to slap anybody in the face, but when when people's like, oh, I'm always be closing, we're like, eh. It's kind of what average salespeople do in our day and age. Like eh, you start closing, especially in B2B sales, you get in there and start hammering, like close, 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 close from that initial conversation. Most people are just going to be like, yeah, okay, right. Pushy salesperson, I'm done, right? Or, hey, just get to the point. Enough of the questions. I just need to know how much it's going to cost me and we'll tell you if I'm interested. They feel pressure, like you're triggering fight or flight mode. And what everybody under needs to kind of understand, behavioral science 101, typically within the first, this is scary. If we don't understand this within the first five 
to 12 seconds of any conversation you're in with a prospect. I don't care if you're meeting in person, if you're on Zoom, if you're on the phone, it does not matter. Your prospects are picking up on social cues from you. Okay, so they're they're reading, quite literally reading your verbal and nonverbal cues subconsciously. We can't even help it as a human being, it's just the way we're wired, our brains work. We're reading your your verbal and nonverbal cues based on your tonality and what you were saying and asking that triggers the brain to react in one of two ways. Now, if you don't uh, if you come across pushy, if you come across aggressive, if you come across needy, everybody knows what I mean by that. You can tell when you're needy, you can feel it yourself, right? You come across attached, right? You want that sale. You don't understand the right questions, you don't understand the right tone. It triggers the human brain to like I said go into what's called fight or flight mode. Where they're like, hey, just get to the point. I don't have time. Tell me how much it's going to cost. Send me a quote. Send me some information. I'll tell you if I'm interested. You do a cold call. Oh, we already have somebody for that. I'm not interested. In the first 10 seconds, they're not even hearing what you're saying, right? So when you learn an EPQ, when you learn how to come across more neutral. Now, what do I mean by neutral? I mean more unbiased. Like, I'm not quite sure we could even help yet. Because you don't know enough details, right? You come across more collective. You come across more detached. That's really the key word. You understand the right questions. You understand how to disarm them, which I'll talk about that in a second. Watch how your prospects become curious enough where they want to engage. They want to open up because they feel like you might have something for them. They don't know what it is, but the way you come across causes them to relax and build trust immediately, okay? So what we talk about doing, instead of following the ABCs of closing, don't be average, follow the ABDs of selling. That stands for always be disarming. I don't mean chopping people's arms off, but I mean by getting your prospects to let their guard down where they become open to going below the surface with you when you're asking different questions. Because just because you have good questions doesn't mean the prospect's just going to like go below the surface because they know what you're doing, right? So if you sound scripted like, oh, John, tell me two problems that's keeping you awake at night. And they say the two problems are like, okay, cool, uh, awesome. Uh, I'm curious, let me ask you. It just sounds like a scripted robot, right? But if I learn what's called verbal cues, and how to bridge from question to question. So let's say I ask a question and the prospect's talking to me and I go like, these are verbal cues, these sounds out of my mouth. Uh-huh. Okay, but walk me back. When you were saying blank, what did you mean by that so I understand better? See how that verbal cue, uh-huh, but walk me back, led me to bridge into the next question where it sounded natural, it sounded engaging. It sounds like I'm in a regular conversation with my best friend at church on Sunday, right? They just feel comfortable. And when you know how to bridge from question to question like that with verbal cues, what that does to your prospect is it disarms them. They let their guard down and they go below the surface because we all know listening to us today, that is where the sales made. Because you know if the prospect says, if they stay surface level with you and they give you one or two or three word answers to your questions, what objections do we usually get at the end? Sounds good. Let me take yep. some time to Call me later. think about it. Uh, you know, send me the proposal. I'll get back to you if I'm interested. We're still doing research. You know, we need to get more quotes or meeting with other vendors. And you just never hear back. So you have to understand if you cannot get them to go below the surface, it's very unlikely you're going to win that deal. So you have to learn how to disarm the prospect to get their guard down. Once you do that, they just start to view you more as like the expert, like the trusted authority, whereas all the other salespeople that are still always be closing, you know how they view, the majority of prospects view them? Just another pushy salesperson trying to stuff their solution down my throat. They put you over here in the corner and then you have to chase them. Whereas when you learn how to disarm, you're going to notice your prospects start chasing you. And that's a much better feeling. Way more money in that too.
Yeah. And by the way, you know, as we move into this world of a SaaS model, if you want your customers to continue to renew, continue to consume and continue to grow, you really need to listen and understand their problems in order to continue to sell them. So it's so true. And I always say this, I always say this, Chris, today's consumer doesn't want to be talked at and sold to. That's what average salespeople do. They want to be asked, they want to be heard, and they especially want to be understood. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Because if your prospect feels that you understand their unique situation the most, guess who they're buying from? You every time. Even if you are charging more than any of your competitors, if they feel your company and you understands their unique situation the most, that means they feel that you can get them the best result. And they will always pay based on if they feel you can get a better result than somebody else, period. Well, Jeremy, as we wrap it up here, um, look, you're building an awesome business here and uh, training a ton of people. And I really admire what you're doing. My last question for you is, yeah. what does freedom look like to you? I mean, you've obviously already crushed it, but you're still growing. What does freedom look like to you? I mean, freedom in my mind is just doing what you want to do. Like, I love doing what I'm doing. Like, I retired. So I had a 17-year sales career. I retired in 2017, and I, I didn't do anything for like a year. And then I got bored. I, there's a whole long story to that. I got into like, you know, I need to help these salespeople that are out there getting crushed with these old school techniques. And I started 7th Level in 2018. But I actually really love doing what I do. Like, today alone, I did like 40-some reels you know, that we post on our IG every month, we do about 160 reels a month on IG and you know TikTok and Facebook and all these things. Did like 40 some reels, four long form YouTube videos. I shot eight more Facebook ads, two YouTube ads. And I just did that in about six hours before I get here. I actually really like doing that. Okay. So I feel like I have freedom if I'm allowed to do what I love. And I think for anybody, you know, in sales or whatever, when you get really good, like when you become, here's, here's how you know you've really mastered sales. When your prospects you talk to don't even feel like they're on a sales call, quite literally. The, the worst words you could ever get from a prospect is like, man, you could sell anything to anybody or you could sell ice to an Eskimo. Oh, if anybody says that to you, you know they're not buying, right? Because they feel like they're, that you're just selling them. Okay. You want your prospects to almost feel like they are thanking you for you allowing them to have them give you money to solve their problems and get them the results they want. And that's when you truly know you've mastered the art and science of selling. And that's an acquired skill. You know, there's all these rumors out there that like, you know, these myths like, oh, he's a gift. He, you know, she's, she was born with the gift of the gab. She's going to be great at sales. Well, actually people with the gift of the gab, really, I would say are average at sales because they're really bad listeners. They just talk all the time. You know, selling is not like it was 50, 60, 70 years ago where you can talk people into things. People know they have many more choices with the power of the internet, especially social media. They know they have many choices to choose the exact product or service that you sell. So because of that power that they didn't even have 20 years ago, they're no longer going to be manipulated by pushy, high-pressure salespeople because they know they have many other choices to choose. So if you want to be a top salesperson, you acquire the skills. Like, I mean, really, Chris, let's be real. No one is born out of your mother's womb having advanced questioning skills. Do you know anybody that just born out of the mother's womb with advanced questioning skills or advanced tonality skills or advanced objection prevention or handling skills? Those are all acquired skills. It's just like saying, oh, he was a born golfer. No, he's not. He didn't learn techniques coming out of the mother's womb. It's not like his mom was like teaching him somehow he's in the womb, these techniques with the swing. He or she acquired that skill level. And that's what you can do. And so that's a great thing about being in selling. It doesn't matter if you're introverted, 
extroverted. If you're in the middle like me, I'm considered an ambient bird. I can kind of do both. It doesn't matter whatever your personality is. You just learn advanced questions, advanced tonality, advanced prevention techniques that anybody can acquire and you can have the same results. You can be a top 1% uh, sales earner in your industry like overnight if you acquire the right skills. Now, on the flip side, you don't learn the right skills. You can get punched in the face quite a bit and that's not very fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a fun job at that point. Well, you clearly have the energy, which means you like what you're doing. So uh, to the listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, clearly you're already you already put a premium on learning. So Jeremy, your program, you help companies, but you also help individuals. So if an individual salesperson out there, don't sit and wait for your company to give you the training because most of them are going to give you product training. Yeah, they're not. There's guys like Jeremy that are, are doing a fantastic job. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to connect up? You know, the easiest thing to check us out is we'll give them a, we'll give them some hors d'oeuvres. We'll give them a little nibble. We always give people nibbles. Uh, they can join our free Facebook group. I think you said you're in it too. So I'm in it. Yep. Just have them go to salesrevolution.pro. So salesrevolution.pro. I don't know if we gave you the link. Uh, right when they join, we get about 40 some thousand, you know, salespeople, B2C and B2B. We've got C-level executives in there. They're just crushing it in all sorts of industries. This industry as well, SaaS technology, big industries we train. Uh, right when they join, have them check their Facebook messenger and we'll have somebody in our team message them a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. It's just a list of questions that we break down that they can use really for different sales situations they're going to find themselves in to make sales, more sales, even with that basic stuff. And then we go live in the Facebook group three or four times a week, like, you know, different Q&As, different subject matter trainings, interviews of clients and even their industry as well. And then if they want more advanced training for like their industry specifically, just have them message us in the Facebook group. They can even message me um, or they can email support or they can book in with a team member and the team member will go over like different training options we have for their specific industry. Uh, if they want to make more sales and make more money with what they're selling. All right. That, well, that's a good start. Sounds good. Well, that's Jeremy Miner. Check him out. We'll put the link in the show notes. Jeremy, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap it up? Man, Merry Christmas. There you go. Merry Christmas. All I right. don't know if your show's going out before Christmas, but Merry Christmas if it is. Well, now, now we have to get it out before Christmas. So <laughs> if nice it's work. not, that part. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thanks again. Hey, I really appreciate it. Nice work today. And I uh, look forward. You can, you're welcome back anytime. I love it, man. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.